Well, we're, we're wrapping up a series, um, and I'm going to recap at the end of the message, but at the beginning of the message, I want to dive right in to our subject of meditation. How many of you are a little weirded out by meditation? Like, it's mysterious, and am I supposed to sit a certain way, or do I hum something, or, you know, is it a little weird? And so we're going to dive into that this morning. Um, don't worry, it's not going to be weird. Um, it's going to, I hope, help you take a next step in a really important spiritual discipline for followers of Christ. And so uh, I've titled the message, Sanctifying the Imagination, that, that meditation, Christian biblical meditation, is the sanctifying of the imagination. That word sanctify is kind of a big church word if you haven't heard it a lot. Uh, it really just means to set apart or to uh, set apart for God, to make holy And so the process by which we are sanctified as followers of Christ is that setting apart increasingly of our lives to to be for God. And our thoughts and our actions and our words uh, can all be sanctified or set apart for God, made holy by His Holy Spirit. So today we're going to be talking about specifically Christian meditation. There are all kinds of meditation. We're going to focus on biblical meditation. Christian meditation, not general or spiritual meditation. Um, We'll be focusing more on the spiritual side as we talk about spiritual disciplines than the psychological side. A lot of psychologists have have pointed out the benefits of meditation and of clearing the mind and detaching the mind from reality. And it's kind of like whenever science discovers a biblical truth and casts it in their own little bubble, that's essentially what some of the New Age meditation, it's taking a, a spiritual principle right out of the Bible and making it less biblical. What we're going to do is focus on the biblical meditation. Um, You don't have to sit a certain way to practice Christian meditation. You don't have to hold your hands. I I found out that they've added emojis now for meditation. And so if you have an emoji uh, keyboard on your phone, you can can send this emoji, don't don't bother me, I'm meditating, or something like that. Um, But you don't have to sit a certain way. You don't have to hum. Christian meditation, I love this definition from Richard Foster, so simple. Christian meditation is the ability, or I might say the practice of learning, to hear God's voice and obey his word. That's what Christian meditation is. That's what followers of Christ do. When we meditate, we tune our mind to God, to his word, to his spirit, so that we can hear his voice and obey his word. That's the goal of Christian meditation. It's not simply to empty the mind for the sake of emptying the mind. It's, it's to detach from the things of this world so that we can attach to the things of God. So we, we fix our minds, we set our minds, we direct our minds to God, to his spirit, to his word, and we focus on the things of God. Somewhat like the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look full on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's, it's when we get our focus on him that everything else starts to fade. And that's the goal of Christian meditation. It's the goal of setting aside mental space, mental energy to focus on the things of God and thereby sanctify the imagination. There are 23 direct references to meditation in Scripture, and 
dozens if not hundreds of indirect references to meditation. And you see the most of them in the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that word meditate or I meditate or let us meditate on the goodness of God, on the word of God, on the law of God. A couple of my favorite references to meditation are, are in Psalm 1, right at the beginning. And in fact, you know, Psalms are wonderful tools for meditation. You can read through the Psalms until you find that phrase or that word or that verse that really articulates what your heart is feeling or draws your circumstances up into, into the spiritual realm. And, and then you can reflect on that. You can meditate on that. The Psalms are a little more emotionally connected, and, and so they help draw our heart into the things of God. And Psalm 1, uh, David writes, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or seat or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Another one is Psalm 19, verse 14, where David again writes, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These are familiar passages. The word meditation comes up several times in Psalm 119, that longest chapter in Scripture with 176 verses, and it talks about meditating on the law of the Lord. And uh, so meditation has a strong biblical uh, heritage. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We, we see its earliest uh, appearance when Isaac says he's going to go and meditate on the love of God. And, and what a beautiful picture that is. We see Joshua as he gets his commissioning from God. In the first chapter of Joshua, in verse 8, uh, we're told that the instructions God gives him are, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so that reminds me that we always have time to meditate because here's the king of this new nation and all these military conquests that we read about in Joshua and God's instruction to him was meditate on my law, meditate on my goodness, meditate on the narrative that I have given you of why you are here and why I will be with you. And it's interesting, verse 9, a lot of people know Joshua 1, 9 as, as a verse that we put on our wall and we, we memorize, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And it was in preparation this week that I realized the connection between those two verses, that as Joshua obeys verse 8 by meditating constantly on the law of God, and the law of God is really the first five books of the Bible, so that's Genesis uh, through Deuteronomy. And as he meditates on that, of course God's going to be with him wherever he goes. Because he's constantly bringing to mind the things of God, constantly reminding himself of the story of his people, of the creation narrative, of God's deliverance time after time after time, of the people, of the exile into Egypt and the exodus from Egypt and leading them through the Red Sea. And he's meditating on this over and over and over. So, of course, God's going to be with him. And that was to be the source of his strength and his courage was meditating on the law of God. And it's the same for us today. 
But it doesn't stop with Joshua. It continues. We see Eli and Samuel giving direct reference to meditating on the law of God. David, obviously. Uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, the prophets talked about about dwelling on their thoughts, setting their thoughts on God. And then in the New Testament, we know that Jesus often went aside to pray, went aside to be able to focus his attention on God, and that he and the Father were one through this meditation that Jesus practiced, fixing his mind on God, on the will of God, on the things of God. And he said several times in the Gospels, quoting Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. But as we meditate upon God and we align our thoughts with his thoughts, then our ways will begin to align with his ways. And we will be one with God in mind and action and one with each other in mind and action as we do this individually and corporately. And then Paul picks up on that and carries that forward. And we're actually going to look at a passage from Paul's writings, but there are several. Uh, We'll look at probably my favorite one that I memorized early in my Christian walk. Uh, But there's several that we've hit on already in this series when we talked in, in the prayer message on this idea of pray continually or pray without ceasing. That's, in a way, it's very strongly related to meditation because we talked about gratitude and we talked about the different forms of prayer and the different ways that we can bring our mind back to God, back to the things of God, back to the Spirit of God through prayer. And prayer and meditation would be very, very strongly linked because meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. It, it follows out of prayer. As we hear, we obey. As we meditate on God's goodness, then we're inspired to do as he has said. But there's also a couple of times that Paul gives direct reference to having the mind of Christ. He says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have the mind of Christ, that he has given us the mind of Christ, and that when we when we collectively set our minds on Christ, then we collectively have the mind of Christ. In Philippians, he, he mentions in chapter 2, he says, Make my joy complete by having one mind with each other. And then in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is Christ Jesus. And then he explains the humility of Christ, who in very nature was God, but didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's saying, this is the mind that we are to have. We're to have the mind of Christ. And so meditation is the vehicle by which we gain the mind of Christ to hear God's voice and to do his will. The passage that I want to focus on this morning uh, is from Colossians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to pull that out and uh, turn to page 1834 if you're using our blue hardcover Bibles. Those are in the seats in front of you. And uh, this is a, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture and, and one that I, uh, passage that I had memorized early on. Uh, actually, one of the first sermon series that I preached here at Linwood was called Heavenly Minded and earthly good. We've all heard that phrase, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And we sort of twisted that or flipped it around and said, what if we were so heavenly minded that we were very earthly good because we were seeking to hear God's voice and obey his word? That's the outcome of meditation. So uh, I want to read verses one through three here. And uh, you can actually listen to that that series, if, if this 
trips your trigger or maybe you weren't here for that series, you can go to our website to the media page and we've got all of our past sermon series archived there and you can go find Heavenly Minded and Earthly Good and listen to that series um, while you're working out or whatever. Uh, It's available uh, to you there. But here's what Paul says in the first three verses of Colossians chapter 3. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So there's a lot here, and we're going to kind of unpack this verse by verse, even phrase by phrase, on a couple of these verses. But it starts in verse 1, addressing the church in Colossae, a church that Paul had planted, and now he was writing back to instruct them to answer questions maybe that he had heard that they would have, uh, deal with issues and and correct some theology and, and further instruct them. And so he addresses them, since you have been raised with Christ. And so he's saying, you're a believer, you have been raised with Christ. You are, are, in that phrase, he is kind of building upon an argument he made back in chapter 2. So if you want to know more about that, go back and read chapter 2, dig into his references and the things that he's saying about being raised with Christ, that the, the law and the, the written code and our sins against God have been nailed to the cross, and we are now free in Christ. And that's really the idea there. Uh, since we've been raised with Christ, we are to set our hearts, to set your hearts on the things above. And the word that he uses that we translate here in the New International Version as set your hearts really means to seek intently, to search for, and to desire. And so it's really, it's really saying seek these things intently. Seek the things above intently. Search for them. Desire them. Have a, a great appetite for them. And seek these things above where Christ is seated. He's speaking about heaven. He's speaking about those things that are above the earthly realm. To seek the kingdom of God. Essentially echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, these temporary earthly things, will be added to you as well. But if you seek this first, you get both. If you seek these first, you get neither. Okay, So we seek first the kingdom of God. We get kingdom priorities. We set our hearts on the things above. And everything else is added to us. Everything else is added to us. Then in verse 2, he reinforces that idea, moving from the heart to the head. He moves from the heart to the head, and he says, set your minds, set your minds on things above not on earthly things. And to set our mind just really means to direct our mind to. Here's a newsflash. You are not captive to your thoughts. You don't have to follow them around wherever they lead you. You can tell them where to go. If you don't like the thought you're thinking right now, think another thought. You can do that. You can recognize, I don't like this thought. I'm being really hard on myself. I'm being really critical on myself. I'm going down a complaint trap on someone or something that's earthly. And I can set my mind instead 
on the things above. I can set my mind on heaven. I can get out my Bible and read a psalm about the love and the goodness and the graciousness of God. And I can meditate on that. I can think about that. I can let that motivate my words and my actions. I am not a captive to my thoughts. In fact, in other places, Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He's talking about directing our thoughts to God instead of following them around wherever they lead us. Because I don't know about you. Maybe you're much better off in this case than I am. But if I just let my thoughts have free reign at 3.30 in the morning, they don't take me to very good places. They don't take me to the positive and the wonderful. They don't take me to Philippians 4 where Paul says, whatever is perfect, lovable, admirable, noble, pleasant. I did it out of order. Excellent, praiseworthy, trustworthy, whatever. You get the point. Philippians 4, go read it, all right? (laughs) The acronym is PERT plan, but I did plan PERT and it threw me off. So pure, excellent, righteous, true, praiseworthy, lovable, admirable, and noble. There we go. Memorize that. And when you recognize that your thoughts are not one of those eight things, have another thought. Think a different thought. Set your minds. Paul would not tell you to do it if you cannot do it. I think it's Graham Cook that I'm kind of plagiarizing a little bit with this idea of have another thought. You don't have to follow your thoughts around. You don't have to follow your heart around either. Look at verse 1. You can set your heart on the things above. You don't have to follow after the desires of the flesh. You don't have to. You have a choice. You have an option here. And so as we do this, and not on earthly things, that's the contrast here. We don't focus on the temptations and the fantasies and the ambitions and the selfishness and the thousand other ways that our ego inserts itself into our mind. Instead, we set our mind on the heavenly things, on the kingdom things, on the spiritual realm where God exists and where his will is done. That's the best definition for the kingdom of God. It's the place where his will is done. So bring the kingdom into your mind and then bring the kingdom into your reality with your thoughts. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your mind might just be the link to that prayer being answered. As you direct your mind heavenward, it will bring a heavenly reality into your circumstances. And it will bring faith, and it will bring hope, and it will bring happiness and joy instead of despair and doubt and anxiety. And he tells us why. And, and I love verse 3. Because it calls to mind this reality that the old has passed away and the new has come. Uh, Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 3 says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When he says you died and when he says your life, he's saying what has died is not what is still living, which 
should be an easy bridge to jump. But if he says, well, you died, but your life, when, what he's talking about dying is the old self, the sinful nature, the flesh, the unredeemed humanity. That has died. It doesn't live anymore. It's not to be given life and breath and accommodation within us. That has died, and our life, our real life, our true life, our eternal life is now hidden with Christ in God. And hidden always used to throw me off because it's like, well, why is it hidden? And yet, studying that a little deeper this time around, I find that it's referring back to some language that Isaiah uses, that the psalmists use about God hiding us in the shelter of his wings, about God protecting us, about God having a place for us where we are not vulnerable, where accommodation is made for us. And that's what happens when we send our minds heavenward, when we set our hearts and our minds on the things above. We find that our life, our real life, our true life, our eternal life, is protected. It is set apart in Christ Jesus for us. And that is good news. That is a thought to meditate on, especially when you're feeling anxious, especially when you're feeling critical, when you're feeling negative, when you're, when you're feeling worried or concerned, is to think about this idea that my life, my real life, my true life, my, re, my eternal life is protected. It's safe in Christ. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought to consider. And so as we sort of wrap this all together and tie this, this, these three verses together, the bottom line in my mind, the bottom line of this passage for me, is, is that meditation and setting our minds on the things of God is this. It's that a mind set on heaven will not fall to temptation on earth. That as we continually fix our minds, set our hearts and our minds on the things of God, we are less vulnerable to temptation here on earth. That we won't fall to temptation here on earth when we have set our minds on God and on His things. And if Christian meditation, if biblical meditation is to hear God's voice and to obey His word, then we set our minds on heaven so that we will not fall to the temptation to do anything other then hear his voice and obey his word. And so I want to encourage you in this. There are some practical ways that you can do this that are really quite simple. You can spend some time in God's word and then intentionally fix your thoughts on God's word. That's probably the easiest way, if I could tell you, to to journey into meditation. If you have a smartphone you have an incredible tool to insert God into your daily life. If this is not something that's normal for you yet, you can program this thing to remind you, whether it's a verse of Scripture or just, hey, say a prayer, uh, some way, somehow. Maybe you always get in your car at the same time to drive to work or to go someplace. You could program this thing so that you'll remember before you take off to start God's Word playing on an audio Bible. They're free. They're all over the place. Get the Bible app. It'll play you any scripture you want. And you can, you can build these reminders to set your mind on the things above into your daily life. If you don't have one of these, you can put sticky notes on your bathroom mirror and in your car. And that's what I did before I had a smartphone. I had little sticky notes all over the place to remind me. Put one on your desk. I still have a few of these. And they remind me at key times of the day to redirect my mind heavenward. And as you do that, it's just like anything that you would choose to strengthen. It gets stronger. 
and you recognize when your thoughts are going in the wrong direction and you redirect them back up to God and you start to meditate. You start to hear his voice. You start to do his word, his will. And so as we wrap up this series, I, I want to remind you of some of the key points. If you didn't make it to all four weeks, you can find these messages online. Um, but as we kind of tie a bow on this series, um, I want to I want to first point out what's coming next because I'm really excited about what's coming next. Uh, next week, we'll be launching a new series. It's Bring a Friend Sunday next week. So if you haven't made your invitations yet or you haven't gotten them accepted yet, please bring a friend. We have plenty of room available for you to bring a friend to come to Linwood with you and to bring them as we start a new series that will take us right into Easter. The new series is titled Jesus is the Subject, and we're going to look at each of the Gospels and sort of a key verse or key concept about Jesus that that Gospel presents to us. And it will we'll go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, maybe not in that order. It'll take us right into Easter. And so I want to encourage you. There are people that are hoping that somebody will invite them to church on Easter because they don't want to go alone. They don't want to wander into a church that's unfamiliar territory where they don't recognize anybody and nobody recognizes them. And so this is on people's mind. And I've said it before. Someone you know is secretly hoping that someone they know will invite them to church for Easter. And so make those invitations and bring a friend next Sunday and we'll start a new series uh, that will take us right into Easter. But as we bring disciplines for disciples to a close, I want to remind you discipline is not a bad thing. It's not associated with punishment. It's more in this use of the word a training, that we're strengthening our spirit. Spiritual disciplines strengthen our spirits. I came across a quote this last week that fit perfectly with this. It's from Craig Rochelle. He says, discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. Discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. And that's true physically, that's true financially, that's true relationally, that as you apply discipline to an area in your life that you want to change, discipline becomes the bridge. Now, if the bridge is strong, you make it over it. If the bridge is weak and the discipline is weak, you don't necessarily become who you want to become. But spiritually speaking, discipline is the bridge between who you are spiritually and who you want to become spiritually. And so I would encourage you, as we think about these disciplines, to remember that discipline is choosing what you value most over what you want now. Choosing what you value most over what you want now. That's a great definition of discipline. Probably couldn't say it better myself. Unless you think that, that you can't for whatever reason. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't Do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. That was a, a thought that we shared early in this series that has kind of been a drumbeat through it. And people have been sending me notes about how that has really resonated with them. And they've started doing what they can until they can do what they couldn't. Do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. Because these spiritual exercises that we've talked about, and we've only hit the top four, the first four, I wouldn't even say they're the top four. I think they're maybe the top four. That's why I focused on them. But there are dozens of spiritual disciplines. And, and you can keep taking your next step and keep learning about spiritual disciplines and growing stronger spiritually. They're not, they're not things that make you better in God's sight. You're already perfect in God's sight through Christ. They're things that help you to know Jesus better. 
That's what spiritual disciplines, that's where the power of a spiritual discipline comes, is that you get to know Jesus better. And as you get to know Jesus better through things like Bible study and fasting and prayer and meditation, then you love him more. And the more you love Jesus, the more you'll want to know Jesus. And, and so that cycle just spins. And so I want to encourage you, as we recap the different disciplines that we've talked about, uh, to think and ask God, what's my next step? What's my next step in, in these areas of spiritual discipline? Do I want to take a step in, in each of the four, or do I want to focus on one and really make sure that I take a faith-filled step in that direction. So the first one that we looked at was fasting. We talked about the discipline of fasting and how fasting feeds discipline. Fasting is addition through subtraction. It's where we add more of God into our lives by subtracting something from our lives. And spiritual fasting or biblical fasting uh, involves the elimination of food or withholding food for a specific period of time in order to pursue God more and to let that hunger physically equate to a hunger spiritually. And so we talked about that. We had opportunities to experiment with that. I've heard from many of you that have taken those steps and have tried something and found a new discipline, something that was unfamiliar to you but very spiritually profound for you. After fasting, we moved into prayer, and we talked about prayer as the lifestyle of Jesus, that, that Jesus was always in prayer, always going off by himself to pray, always in this unity with the Father through prayer. And when we talked about prayer, we had this big idea that it's always the right time to pray. It's always the right time to pray. Because we define prayer as exchanging our thoughts and our wishes for God's thoughts and wishes. And so prayer goes right along with Bible study and right along with meditation. There are streams flowing to the same place, to God and to the things of God. And when we talked about study, we talked about digging deep like doing some research, asking some questions of God's Word, and then answering those questions. And we talked about study being the thing that helps us move from information to transformation. That if you want to be transformed, if you want to be made more like Christ, studying God's Word moves you from the information on the page, what does it say, through what does it mean, into how does it apply. And then today, we've talked about meditation, And this idea that meditation is a mind set on the things of God, mind set on heaven so that it will not fall into temptation. I want to close by sharing sharing with you the full survey results. In the middle of this, we did a survey on personal spiritual disciplines, and I was thrilled to get almost 160 responses. That's really, really good. That's over half of our our weekend attendance uh, participated in the survey, filled out a card, or took it online. And uh, when we got the results from that, uh, there were some interesting insights. Our leadership will continue to, um, to... look over these and and seek to make application from them. But uh, you may have noticed that the survey, if you took it, was broken up into three key areas. There was personal Bible engagement and prayer. There was fellowship and there was service. Those were three strategic anchors that we saw as a local board of administration 
that would be drivers for spiritual growth in 2020 for each of you individually and for us as a church. And so if we look at the first question, and I shared this one last week, um, it's changed just a little bit as more, more people came in. Um, but it asks, in 2019, how many times per week did you engage in God's Word? And I was excited to see that about 55% of our congregation are engaging in God's Word at least four times a week, four days a week. That's really good. We watched a video last week about all these things that change in our lives when we get to that magic number of four times or more per week. Everything starts to shift. And so if you're in the, the zero or the one to three group, I would really strongly encourage you to, to make at least four times a week a priority. I personally think you can't do anything better than spend time in God's Word every single day. So I would encourage you to go all seven if you possibly can. But I was encouraged at how many people are spending time in God's Word. It was interesting to look at prayer and to see that there are actually a little bit fewer people involved in prayer uh, on a regular basis than Bible reading. Now, there's more people that pray seven days a week than read their Bible seven days a week, but there are also more people that don't pray at all then don't read scripture at all. So I would encourage you to get out your cell phone and put reminders into your day to pray to God and to set focused time and attention on him, on his will for your life, on interacting with him, on getting to know him, uh, engaging in prayer with him. Uh, The next couple of slides had to do with service. How many times a month do you serve here and in the community? And I thought this was interesting. Uh, If we've got slide three up there right now, uh, we see that about 31% of the people that took the survey don't serve at Linwood, not even once a month. And so that means we have a tremendous potential to, to move things forward in our ministries if people will take that step and begin to serve at Linwood. I also thought it was interesting. How many of you have heard the 80-20 rule? 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Well, it was 17.9% of the people that serve at least seven times a month here at Linwood. Um, and I thought, well, that, that's the 80-20 rule. Those are the people that are here seven times a month. Think about that. That's like every Sunday, every Wednesday. And some of them might not be in the service today because they're with your kids or they're uh, running security or they're doing different things. And so you don't always see these people. Uh, but But tremendous opportunity with 58% of our congregation, or at least those that took the survey, that aren't serving uh, even once a week, three times a week, or or three times a month or less. Uh, The next one deals with serving in the community. And if there was one that I was really kind of disappointed in, it was this one. Um, Yes, we want you to serve at Linwood. Uh, but I hope, you know, we really want you to serve in the community as well. Pastor Zach refreshed our, our mission this morning to reach people for Christ. And one of the best ways we can reach people for Christ is by you being a light in the community and serving in the community. And about 46% of the people who took the survey don't serve in the community. I would really encourage you to pray about that. Maybe that's a next step that you could take. Uh, This one really fits with our core value of leaving a legacy that when we serve in our church and we serve in the community, we we have an opportunity to leave a legacy of faith in somebody else's life through our service to God. And then the final couple of slides deal with fellowship. 
and we found that about half of the people are here four or more times a month. The top half of that circle is our four to six times and seven times a month. Uh, if you're here seven times or more a month, that means you're here almost every Sunday and you're here on a Wednesday night or you're here some other time throughout the week. And then there were just very few that took the survey that weren't a part of the church last year or don't come very often at all, didn't average one time a month. But we see those relationships and we see tremendous potential, 43% are here one to three times a month. And I challenge you to imagine what life would be like if that was a priority to get that into the four to six times or seven times a month. Um, The final one deals with how many times you engaged in fellowship outside of Linwood. Outside of Linwood. Are you engaged in fellowship with other believers? Are you in a community Bible study or in a small group that comes from different churches? And in this case, uh, the majority of you actually are engaged in fellowship in some way outside of Linwood. I think that's healthy. I think that's positive, um, and I would encourage you uh, to, to continue to engage those opportunities that you have with community Bible studies or with, um, with various uh, groups of, of Christians that are meeting. It helps us to see that we're not alone. It helps us to strengthen our faith, to grow in our faith. And so with all that in mind, I would just ask you again, what's your next step? What's your next step with spiritual disciplines? One of the worst things we can do at the end of a sermon series where we've studied something in depth is to just move on and not apply it to our lives, not take a next step in some way, some form, or fashion. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're not reading your Bible every day, that would be an ideal next step for you. Build that into your life somehow. Engage in Scripture, engage in God's Word every single day and watch what happens right down when you started and start to track the things that change in your life as you engage God's word every day if you don't have one of our banding together journals this one looks a little different this is the fancy new version that has our our logo on the cover if you don't have one of these journals you can pick one up out in the middle of the lobby there we ask for a five dollar donation but if you don't have five dollars don't let that keep you from getting a journal It's got a Bible reading plan. It's about 40 verses a day, usually a chapter or a chapter and a chunk of a psalm. You can spend time in God's Word just reading the Bible, writing some thoughts. It walks you through all of that. That's a great tool for you. Um, I would encourage you to, to branch out in prayer. We talked about prayer. If you didn't get the message on prayer, you can go and listen to it. Find new ways to interact with God. We talked about a number of different forms and models and ways to pray. You could be involved and in, in build some of those into your life. If you're not serving at Linwood, I would strongly encourage you to serve at Linwood. I would strongly encourage you to find a place of service. If you want to ask some questions of one of our pastors, reach out to myself, Pastor Zach, Pastor Sandy. There are ways that we can help you determine what might be a good place so that if you're really, really painfully shy and introverted, we don't stick you on the front door to greet 100 people as they come through the door. Um, or maybe you have a passion in some area that we can, we can unite with a need that we have and begin to serve. Because as we serve, it helps us to grow in our relationship with God, to rely upon him. And if you're not serving outside the church, I would encourage you to find a way. We give you some opportunities through the missions partnerships that we have here in the community, but there's lots of ways that you can serve. And if you're not involved, if fellowship's not a priority, that might make a great first step, that we're better together, that we are better when we link arms and unite with other believers and find that we are not alone and that we have people we can call on in the dark days 
and when we have trouble, and that people can call on us, and we can come alongside them. And so as we bring this to a close, I would encourage you to take out your connection card, and uh, if you would like your, a staff to pray with you on what your next step might be, then just jot that down in the, the comment, the prayer request comment section, and let us know. And if it's in a specific area, we'll reach out to you. If it's just, hey, pray for me as I take a next step in this area, we'll pray for you. If you want help, we'll help you. We're here to help you take your next step and to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. So take out that connection card, begin writing that down. And as we respond, just respond in faith. Take a step towards God, towards him in faith, and watch him come to meet you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for the way that you reach out to us. Help us to be a people who reach out to you. Help us to be eager to take a step towards you, to grow in our faith, to grow in areas like fasting or prayer, studying your word, or meditating upon your goodness. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.